This podcast contains sensitive content which some may find disturbing. Information shared here should not be construed as medical advice. If you or someone you love needs help with trauma, chronic pain, or anything else we discuss here, please seek out a medical professional. All resources shared are for entertainment purposes only. All content represents the opinions of Kim and Anna and any special guests and do not necessarily reflect the positions of any organizations they work for. This is not ideal, but we're going with it. A mother-daughter podcast about chronic pain, trauma, mental illness, and more. Kim is a trauma therapist and certified addiction counselor who lives in Pennsylvania, USA. And her daughter, Anna, is a scoliosis sufferer and trauma survivor living in the tropical north of Australia. Join us each week as they discuss topics from their life experiences. Welcome to the show. Welcome. This is Not Ideal, but we're going with it, the podcast. I'm Kim and I'm the mom. And I'm Anna. I'm the daughter and I'm already annoyed. <laughs> yes, you are. Also, it occurs to me that, that the first 30 seconds of all of our episodes is just an expose on our anxiety. It just is totally, <laughs> oh my word. I think it's great. And <laughs> I am excited about tonight's podcast because tonight we're here to talk about a very real thing that recently happened Uh that I think is going to be helpful for our listeners to think about and talk about. You posted about it on Instagram and it's when Mm -hmm. some of your trauma comes from the people trying to help you. And I think it's it's kind of a touchy, it's kind of a touchy topic because who wants to get mad or angry or annoyed at people who are trying to help? That would be Anna. But um, but we want to talk about how you can feel when that's happening and what types of situations might cause that. So Anna? Okay, well, I've been seeing this therapist for a little while, not very long. For the first little while, it was fantastic. But in our most recent session, something happened that made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. And by the end of the session, I wasn't really feeling fully safe and secure. Right, right, right. And as you and I kind of got to chatting about it, we realized, oh, this is part of the big picture that medical professionals who don't listen to you bring stuff up. But it's not necessarily your therapist. It might be everyone that has ever done that to you, told you, no, these painkillers should work. No, that's not infected. No, you don't have whooping cough. (laughs) No, you know, (laughs) over and over again. Well, yeah, but it's worth noting that you and I didn't realize that in our conversation after this most recent appointment, I literally busted the door open in my first appointment. And I was like, here's where my trauma comes from. It comes from medical professionals not listening to me and pigeonholing me with a diagnosis that is clearly incorrect. And I tell them it's incorrect. And I know that you have more experience in your chosen field, but you do not have more experience with my body. I have more experience with my body and my insides. And I'm telling you you're wrong. And yet you're not listening to me. Like I have all, all of the evidence on my side. And so let me, let me slow you down there for a minute. So Uh you started that off as saying, this is, this is an issue. And then it kind of came as a shock that I felt felt like it was happening in the therapy session itself. Am I getting that right? Well, slightly less it felt like it was happening and more it did happen right in front (laughs) of my freaking face. (laughs) Yeah, 
it was less of a feels like situation and more of a <laughs> it's happening situation. Okay. I've and learned here- to identify over the last six or seven years. Uh-huh. I got pretty good at spotting it. Yeah. Do you think that you might be a little hypervigilant for that? Because obviously as a therapist, they've got to go in some direction, right? So yeah, do you th- but here's do you- the thing. I told her the direction that we needed to go in. <laughs> Anna, but but she's the one that has to take it in a direction, right? See, this is my exact point, is that medical professionals, any, any <laughs> freaking person who has mm-hmm. gone to school for some kind of degree for longer than mm-hmm. like four years, maybe five years max, anyone who has one of those higher level degrees in the healthcare field, whether that be physical health or mental health or any kind of health. You had me just, a hello. Go ahead. They just absolutely <laughs> cannot stand not being the ones to crack a mystery. So if you bust, <laughs> if you bust down their door and say, honey, the mystery's already friggin' solved. I've got points A through Z right here. I know what my issues are. I'm just looking for a helping hand to sort them out. They just, ooh, they can't stand it. They cannot mm. stand it. When I go into the emergency room and I say, listen, here's what's happening. <laughs> here's what's definitely not happening. And I know that I don't, I know that I'm not an MD and I know that you are. However, I still know really what's, ha- I think what's happening in my body. If you have a lot of evidence to suggest something else, I'm all ears. But if you only have your gut feeling, oh my word, <laughs> throw your freaking gut feelings out the window. I'm going to run over with a garbage truck. Gut feeling. Oh my word. Well, no. now, so Ugh. let me ask you, let like me ask you this ju- question. Just your instinct. Okay. Your, your experience so, is telling you, you know, your 25 years of experience in the field is telling okay. you that this is happening to me. Incorrect. Oh, so there's all uh. kinds of, there's all kinds of therapy approaches. There's a, a more non-directive approach that is definitely. Which I love. Uh, <laughs> It's more Here's, just here, let's, giving, let's giving you example. space. Let's give it an example you... of what non-directive therapy sounds sure. like. Ready? Okay, <laughs> I'll be the I'll be the non-directive therapist. You be the okay. you be the client. Go okay. ahead. Okay. Hey, I, my name is Anna. I'm here to talk about some issues that I have, and I think I already know where my trauma is coming from. Issues that you've had, and you already know that where your trauma is coming from. Tell me more. Yes, I know. <laughs> I know exactly where they're coming from. Thank you for allowing me the oxygen in this room to voice my problems. I really appreciate you not taking it all up with your bias and your arrogance. I really appreciate you leaving some for the rest of us. So you you're, you oh. seem very you seem very strong on this point. Tell me more about that. I am strong on, on this point and just about every other point. You prefer a non-directive approach because of what you've been through. Is it? Yes, that's correct. What are you doing? Are you like doing markers and stuff in the back? <laughs> no. No. Sorry. Something like a bunch of markers just fell on the floor. What are you over. coloring? Something, something fell over. <laughs> Oh my word. Can you repeat the question, please? It sounds like you like kind of a non-directive approach, which it might be something that's helpful to you because of what you've been through. Is that, do you feel like that might be true? Yes, correct. The reason I'm doing this therapy right now is to try to lessen uh, some of my muscle pain. And Mm -hmm. so I've gone to therapy to try to relieve some of that internal stress that I think is tied up in the trauma of the, the surgeries and different things that have happened. I think that if I can get control of that, I can get control of that specific area of pain. Mm-hmm. So in this in this conversation with my therapist, it felt 
a little bit like I was just getting completely not listened to and just totally Mm -hmm. steamrolled over, Mm -hmm. which is saying something. I mean, it takes like it takes a very specific dynamic and setting and person to have me be steamrolled. Do you know what I mean? Like the amount of times I've been steamrolled in my life, I can count on one hand. I think you're bringing up a very important point. There is something about being in that position of of vulnerability mm -hmm, and being the patient with the specialist. That power dynamic can sometimes for trauma survivors put you into kind of a younger or smaller space, right? And so, and so we've talked about this before on this podcast, when that happens, it's sometimes good to go in with kind of a repertoire of things that you will say to prevent falling into the trauma mode. Yes, because as soon as she started doing that to me, and I recognized it as what it was, which is I know better than you and you have no idea what's going on with you. I'm the only Mm -hmm. one. I'm the only one who knows what's going on with you because I'm the one in the room with a degree in the field that we're talking about. And so immediately I went from being in a relationship with someone who I actually thought could help immediately Mm -hmm. went from that, which is a vulnerable position because it's openly saying I have an issue and I'm bringing you into my issue that I can't solve on my own. As soon as she started doing that, I immediately switched from actually honestly trying to handle my own issues to trying to handle her as a professional. And so immediately Mm. I went from what really am I dealing with? Genuinely looking into it. What you're saying, are you saying you kind of abandoned yourself for a minute? Mm. No, I don't think I abandoned myself. I think I immediately switched to the defensive position for myself. Oh, okay. So you started by saying, this is somebody that can help me. And as soon as she did that, you pulled back in and said, I can only, I'm on my own. Yeah, because here's the thing. I went into this meeting with a healthcare professional and it it was like the first healthcare professional that I was going to be willing to trust to not steamroll me and railroad me into something that was not correct. And yet she started doing that again. And so it was kind of as if I had sat down at a table with an opposing war general and we were doing a treat. And then she passed a piece of paper over to me that said, I'm going to kill you in your sleep tonight. And so I immediately went from genuinely seeking a treaty and resolution to immediately being on the defensive and looking for a way out and looking to Mm -hmm. get her back on her side of the field and me back on my side of the field and also going to be putting up extra security around me tonight so that nobody killed me in my sleep. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Was that a good analogy? (laughs) For sure. And I think it all happens pretty fast. So that's why, like we've talked about before, having sentences where you can slow it down and say, you know, something something has shifted for me and something has me feeling some type of way. I'm not sure what it is, especially in a situation. I knew what it was. As it was happening, I knew what it was, but they never want to hear it. They do not ever want to hear that you have figured out something about your health before they have. No, no, no. I mean, to slow it down and say, there's something happening right now between you and me. That's not okay. That's not, that doesn't feel right or has me feeling some type of way. Or if there's a rude doctor, which I have not experienced, lately but somebody no, who's how, really how, how pleasant for you <laughs> somebody who's somebody who really does act superior and like I'm a burden or something that's when I would pull out the you know, this probably, this relationship might not work because you're coming across in a way See, that has yeah. me feeling some type of way. You don't have to say you're rude and you're disgusting. You can no, say- as if I would ever this, say that. This relationship, <laughs> it's bringing out what's happening in the room with your therapist. So you can say that and you can say, could we talk a little bit about our dynamic for a second? Because- Yeah, except that you, you cannot- leading you-, me, you leading me in this direction is pulling up for me some of the stuff that's happened to me already, which I mentioned in 
in session one. Yeah, you are evidencing actually a really good point, which is that when professionals are talking about their field, it can be impossible to break in. <laughs> it can be impossible to say any of those things because they will just keep going with what they think is the solution and what they think is the problem. Now, between mm -hmm. you and I, mm -hmm. you know, that's never gonna, that's probably never gonna change between you and I because that's also part to do with our personalities. But when you're in a position of accepted inferiority going in there as a patient, which, mm -hmm. you know, already, if there are any therapists listening to this, they'll be like, why do you think you're inferior just going to therapy? Okay, it's the power dynamic is what I'm talking about mm -hmm, is that there mm -hmm, definitely sure. is they are the curer you are the person needing a cure so you go in there and it's like you're already accepting that you're gonna have to be under them in some way mm -hmm. and then when they take that foothold and just like completely pave over you mm -hmm. that's when it becomes no longer a safe relationship like I'm willing to to take you being in the in the position above me telling me maybe what I need to do. But first, you do need to listen to me, I think. <laughs> and interestingly, when I talked to you right after that, it was clear your body had not had a good session. Like you were completely no, flushed. My back went out totally in the 10 minute conversation that you and I had after the therapy appointment, which was the other thing is that she kept asking, you know, what's happening in your body as you're talking about this? Are you in more pain now? Which is excellent. It is really important, I think, to check in with your body during therapy. Very important, especially when you're going there to resolve physical pain or physical issues in general. But nothing was nothing was happening in in my pain. The more anxious I got, that time was running out of my session, and I wasn't actually doing anything useful. And I told mm. her that a few times, and it it didn't even make a dent. I was like, I am getting a little bit anxious, and I'm starting to talk quickly and breeze through things you think are important because I'm telling you genuinely, I don't think they're important. Like you're not my first therapist. So how <laughs> did that go? That was that was good. It did. How did go. that go? It did not oh. go. It didn't go at all. It fell on deaf ears. So how did you end it? How did you feel at the end? I felt like nothing useful had been done. And like I had just mm. wasted my time and also had been re-traumatized mm. by a medical professional not listening to me and thinking that they knew better than I did. Mm -hmm. Which which I want to clarify again, medical professionals do know better than I do in their field. I just don't mm -hmm. think they always know what's going on with me more than I know what's going on with me. And I think that that's something that people don't recognize is a trauma-specific issue, actually, that if I'm going to be in a power differential, I have to be really well taken care of. Yeah. It's no matter what the power differential is, it's going to potentially trigger me. Yeah. And that's why I felt like maybe my therapist wasn't trauma informed enough to be handling my case. You bring up a really good thing to be thinking about. How do you know if your therapist is trauma informed? Well, um, if you so, have so an experience like mine, maybe maybe that's a sign that she isn't. Well, here's a few things that you can be thinking about. Like, did you do any trauma assessments to see what your triggers were for trauma? No, we did not, which is a good point. Okay. Have you ever had anybody that's helped when you come into a room, made sure you knew how to get back out of the room? <laughs> well, we weren't in the room together. We were over Skype, but, oh, I, see okay. what you, but I see what you mean and no, mm -hmm. <laughs> to be fair. Okay. Or even to give you permission to move around or do whatever you need to do whenever your body feels like it can't stay still or no definitely not get up none of that okay. has happened yeah but you know the the most important part that i 
I think that we wanted to talk about tonight is as a trauma recoverer or a person recovering from trauma, it's really important to not become re-traumatized. Definitely. That's a, re- that's a really important part of getting good trauma-informed care. And that's really what a trauma-informed care person is always looking out for because that's so painful as you experienced, I'm sorry to say. Yeah. And can I also say to any of our listeners... <laughs> who are healthcare professionals or like say psychologists or doctors, can I just suggest something? And I know that it's a foreign, it's a foreign concept, (laughs) especially in Western medicine, but to ask your patient, what do you think is going on? What do you think is wrong with you? And then actually take that as a valid piece of information. (laughs) I really feel like that could be potentially helpful. Now, if a person comes into the emergency room and the doctor says, what do you think is going on? And they say, you know, I think I have gangrene. And they're like, okay, what are your symptoms? And the person says a headache. Like that is one thing. Okay, if they clearly just don't know what they're talking about. But if somebody comes in and says, I think I might have nerve damage, because I have red bolts of, you know, irritated skin going down my side. I'm in crippling pain in a way that is not muscle pain or disc pain or bone pain. And I, and I do know the difference, even though you probably think that I can't tell the difference. To not hear... To not hear... I think you're just constipated. <laughs> Come from a person who has gone to school for like 10 years. That would just be so great. So Can you give uh, us one more example of how... <laughs> how about what when somebody talking- comes in and says listen i think that i have whooping cough and they say why <laughs> why do you yeah. think you have whooping cough and you say well i have whoop, this cough. Whoop. i have this cough and i can demonstrate it for you right now i cough so hard that i can't stop coughing and it it brings all the air out of my lungs to the point that i'm sucking air back in and making this awful whoop sound every time i start coughing <laughs> Also, this has been going on for like over a month. Also, the uh-huh. person in my dorm had whooping has cough. Whooping cough. Yeah. And, and then, then your mother say, comes in and says, I don't think she has whooping cough either. <laughs> and they're both, everyone's wrong, including their, your mother. Yeah, That's and, a terrible day. Yeah. And, and they now all listen say, to I think it's just the flu. And you're like, okay, but could you just, could you just listen Check. to me? Could you just listen to me? No, and, and it's, not even, it's not even checking necessarily because even the tests that they do, they don't always do their due diligence. They did a whooping cough test on me, but it was only supposed to be done within the first 14 days of symptoms showing. And I told them that I'd had them for over a month and they still did the test that would only show it in the first two weeks. And so then I only <laughs> actually found out once I got to the hospital. Listen, see, this okay. is just one in a long list of I need, I need, I need to break in here for a minute. Okay, go ahead. Um, what do you think is going on? No, what I was going to say is what you're talking about is trauma-informed care because not all therapy is trauma-informed, even if the person is wanting to help with trauma because trauma-informed care is empowering care. So you are in a situation where the the person who's sharing is the one who has the power. Not Mm -hmm. in the sense of you're in charge of the session and how long it goes, but if you're not getting trauma-informed care, you do feel more like I'm in a guru little baby Yoda situation where I'm the baby Yoda, they're the guru, and there are people that really want that, right? There are people Um, who want to be told what to do. I'm not one of them. And I told my therapist that straight off the freaking bat. (laughs) 
it's not just that you don't want to be told what to do. It's that trauma recovery requires empowerment. That's the whole point of trauma yeah. is it's taken away your autonomy. And we're, we, we need to make sure point. Yeah. the space is growing that back and not in any way inhibiting that. So that's one element of trauma-informed care, but there's lots. Yeah. Plus, hold on, plus. With my therapist, she suggested something that I didn't think had merit, right? And even though I immediately thought to myself, oh, I'm not sure that's really going to lead anywhere. I was, I still was like, you know what? I'd never considered that. This is actually, these are the actual words that came out of my mouth in my appointment. I had never considered that. And I'm interested to explore that for sure. Because if there's something there that I have never noticed before, I definitely want to work it out. Here's my question. Why can a person who did, who went to school for like eight years, not give me that same courtesy? You right. Know? That courtesy being, even if you think that, that a person is wrong, if it's about them, you're still gonna look into it like I think okay. that's yeah that's an excellent point yeah I often will say as a therapist you know I think I just got something wrong I, I think I just was on a wrong trail there because yeah. your response is showing me that I'm I'm on the wrong track. So thank you so much. It took a lot of bravery to share what you just said. And let's get back on track, you know, or I'll often and say that like, right you know, there sometimes- is, is evening the power differential, which is what needs That's to correct. happen. That's correct. And here's the other thing. <laughs> and another thing. <laughs> <laughs> trauma-informed, and this is another thing that I ran into, there's a definite fear from clients that objecting to a line of treatment is only going to further confirm their theory that you have issues. So this is a very good point. This is the fallacy that a client, just because they think you're on the wrong track, is in denial. Yes. And I am, yes. And that's, that's not psychodynamic therapy, which has been disproven, or, or not all of it, but a good amount of it has been proven to be not the most effective <laughs> way of care. To assume that someone is in denial just because they're not okay with what's happening is totally, it's just manipulative and it's pigeonholing your person, making them feel unsafe, not letting them have a say in their own treatment. At least that's what I think. What do you think? I completely agree that I don't like believing someone is in denial as your first line of defense. One of the big things that we get away from, thankfully, finally, in addiction therapy is saying, oh, well, if you're just in denial. No, that doesn't. <laughs> that sounds like I'm in denial. But the answer <laughs> is no. Give the person the respect and the autonomy to be believed. And of course, since I'm an attachment Mm -hmm. therapist, the most important part in rebuilding attachment is the person is believed and they have to be seen. They have to be believed. This is the key. And for any of you interested in looking at this further, go read the paper on being sane in insane places. It's Mm. about a researcher who got eight psychologically totally healthy people to get themselves admitted into inpatient psychiatric care. They immediately told the hospital staff that they had no complaints, they had no symptoms, that they were perfectly psychologically sound and that they would like to be released. And none of them were released. All of the hospital staff treated them like they had schizophrenia. And they were kept there in inpatient psychiatric care. Spoiler alert. (laughs) A little late. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, this is the whole point, though, is that, however, it is worth noting 
that the patients, the other patients who were not psychologically sound in that inpatient care facility immediately realized that these eight people were not meant to be there. And they also tried to object to their presence there. They went to their own therapists and the hospital staff and said, these people do not have the issues that the rest of us have. They need to be let out. They're not, you know, they are sane. You need to let them out. What? Why are you keeping them here? They, they're saying and they, they're and saying, they didn't let them out. They didn't let them out because they had decided that they knew what was happening more than the patient, more than the patients knew what was happening. They had just mm-hmm. decided that there was a reality. Right. And this is the so issue the- in psychiatric care. Hold on. Is that once <laughs> is that once someone with a freaking degree decides a problem exists with you, that becomes reality. Like it doesn't matter if it actually is the case inside you and your body. If they say it's what's happening, it's what's happening. It's put on your file. They treat you that way. You can't get out of it. Yeah. Ugh. I think it really boils down to the different approaches. And it's worth asking before you engage therapy, you know, is this trauma-informed care? Because again, being re-traumatized is really not good. And we saw that with Anna just a few days ago. And in this entire episode, you can tell that that my fear has Mm -hmm. been activated for sure. Yeah. Because of course, that's terrifying to be at the hands of someone who controls your fate that entirely. They can choose to Mm -hmm. just ignore all of your actual symptoms, all of your Mm -hmm. personal concerns. They can just decide on a diagnosis that has no business being on your file. And they can just hold will say, your life in their hands. Ugh, I will say when it comes down to the diagnosis, that is something that the clinician does have to decide based on their training and what they're believing that they see in front of them. But that doesn't mean they have to impose their model or method on what, what is happening. And that's where I think things go awry is that every human is different. Every person comes to that space differently. And so you you cannot put a cookie cutter down on anybody. You may have to make a clinical decision about what is the diagnosis. You know, you can't have the client tell you what their diagnosis is. No, you have to make a clinical judgment, of course. But I just, I really feel like it would both make patients feel safer and it would also drastically increase the quality of care if healthcare professionals would take their patients seriously even though they don't mm-hmm. have the education that they have in the field. Listen to them a little bit more instead of just... For sure. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. For sure. That's all the elements of attachment, right? To be seen, heard, felt, maybe not felt. Well, I don't want to be felt. Believed, <laughs> yeah. believed and cared for. You yeah. know, that's how you feel safely or securely attached, typically. True. It also is worth noting that this is one of the biggest issues that exists with Western medicine is that doctors are just in charge with no real oversight. They just decide what happens to a patient from step one through the final step. They just are totally in charge. Whereas in some other forms of healthcare, which, you know, I haven't in the past thought that they could help me, but the more I... hit this exact same rock wall in the Western Mm. healthcare system, the more I think, you know what, maybe going to a holistic healthcare practitioner and saying, hi, will you listen to the concerns that I actually Mm -hmm, have? mm -hmm. Instead of just looking at me like I'm yet another number and just to get me in and out of your office as quickly as possible with a Band-Aid prescription and a promise to see me again in a month, which I don't even really want to do, you know, like maybe it would be worthwhile. Or for somebody who isn't quite ready to go that route, just making (laughs) sure 
before you engage a new clinician or a new therapist, if you have a trauma history, just asking, you guys say you're trauma informed. Can you explain to me what that means? But definitely have a talk with the person you're you're going in to get treatment from about whether or not they are informed enough to handle your case, especially if you're dealing with trauma. Yeah, I think that's a great way to end. And I am so glad you shared your story. Anything else you want to say about anything you wished you had done differently with this experience? <laughs> yes, I wish I had. Well, this is more of my my own issue. When things like this happen to me, I always then look back on it and blame myself for allowing it to happen instead of blaming the person Uh, who did it to me. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, there are a lot of things that I wish that I had done differently. The first of which being to just like start (laughs) if if it had gotten to this point, just to have started screaming at the top of my lungs until she let me have the floor. You know what I mean? (laughs) But to an extent, you have. I, I'm learning that I have to just say I know myself, and I know that I did the absolute best I could with the situation while so, maintaining your values and boundaries. Because screaming at the top of your lungs would have made you feel bad. That's yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I did. But it makes I did sense. the best I could for everyone involved, but prioritizing myself, I really did do the best I could do for me. Good job. As best I could. But clearly the trauma programming got started. It went all the way through to blaming yourself for not doing enough. So true. Even though, even though right in here, right now, and even at the time, you know, that's not true, but it's just, it runs its program out to the end once it gets triggered, which is why we try not to be re-traumatized. You've got to, you know, take care of people who've had trauma. I just, that makes me sad. I'm sorry you had to go through that, sweetie. Thank you. This is why we have this podcast to keep you thinking about what works, what doesn't, and hopefully some giving you some good ideas on how to avoid this happening to you. Yes, hopefully. And also hopefully for those very few of our listeners who are doctors or therapists or anything like that, hopefully you too have learned something from, yeah. from this. If you had if you weren't already hey. practicing this way. Yeah, take a course on being trauma informed. It's they're very short. There's May not a we lot involved. Courses from the Arizona Trauma Institute Ooh, from Dr. Bob. Good point. Yes. Dr. Bob Roton. They do great. They do great conferences <laughs> and training sessions to get you certified. They, we love them and we loved their course. Was that was great. Course. That was where we um, Dr. Bob. found yes, and the guy who said, "You've got questions. We've, We've got, got hamsters." <laughs> <laughs> Iconic. Ah, memories. Iconic. All right. I love it. Anyway, I'm Kim. I'm the mom signing off. And I'm Anna. I'm the daughter. And clearly we've both got issues. But thanks for sticking with us. And we will see you next week. Or month. Bye. Thank you guys for joining us today. Stay tuned for more <laughs> podcasts from Anna and Kim on the new series, Not Ideal, But We're Going With It. Also, check out their new website at www.notideal.net. <laughs>